0: Chapter 12 of The Laughing Cavalier, Ancestor of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melvin Lee. The Laughing Cavalier, Ancestor of the Scarlet Pimpernel, by Baroness Ortze Chapter 12, The Portrait. When Beresteyn returned to the studio in the company of Franz Halls, they found Diogenes once more clad in his own well-fitting and serviceable doublet. The artist looked bitterly disappointed at the sight, but naturally forbore to give vent to his feelings in the presence of his exalted patron. Apparently he had been told what was required, for he went straight up to a large canvas, which stood at the further end of the room with its face to the wall and this he brought out now and placed upon the easel it is an excellent likeness of my sister said nicholas with his usual gracious condescension to the artist and does your powers of faithful portraiture vast credit my good halls i pray you sir he added calling to diogenes come and look at it the latter came and stood in front of the easel and looked on the picture which was there exhibited for his gaze. Among the hard lessons which varying fortune teaches to those whom she most neglects, there is none so useful as self-control. Diogenes had learned that lesson early in his life, and his own good humor often had to act as a mask for deeper emotions. Now, when in the picture he recognized the woman, who had spoken to him last night after the affray in Domstrat? his face in no sense expressed surprise. It still smiled and mocked and twinkled, and neither of the two men who stood by guessed that he had seen the original of this dainty picture under peculiar circumstances not many hours before. The portrait of Jungfrau Bernstein is one of the finest ever painted by Franz Halls. The intense naturalness of the pose is perfect. The sweet yet imperious expression of the face is most faithfully portrayed. Diogenes saw her now very much as he had seen her last night, for the artist had painted the young head against a dark background, and it stood out delicate as a flower right out of the canvas and in full light. The mouth smiled as it had done last night, when first she caught sight of the ludicrous apparition of one philosopher astride on the shoulders of the other. The eyes looked grave as they had done when she humbly yet gracefully begged pardon for her levity. The chin was uplifted, as it had been last night, when she made the haughty condescension her offers of patronage to the penniless adventure, and there was the little hand, soft and smooth, as the petal of a rose, which had rested for one moment against his lips. And looking on the picture of this young girl, Diogenes remembered the words which her own brother had spoken to him only a few moments ago. Her honor and her safety are forfeit to me, I would kill you if you cheated me, but I would not even then regret what I had done. The daughter of the rich city burgher was, of course, less than nothing to the nameless carver of his own fortunes. She was as far removed from his sphere of life as were the stars from the Zyder Zee. Nor did women as a sex play any serious part in his schemes for the future. But at the recollection of those callous and selfish words, Diogenes felt a wave of fury rushing through his blood. The same rage seized his temper now, as when he saw a lout once plucking out the feathers of a songbird, and he fell on him with fists and stick, and left him lying bruised and half dead in a ditch. But the hard lesson learned early in life stood him in good stead he crossed his arms over his broad chest and anon his well-shaped hand went up to his mustache and it almost seemed as if the slender fingers smoothed away the traces of that wave of wrath which had swept over him so unaccountably just now and only left upon his face those lines of mockery and of good humor which a nature redolent of sunshine had rendered indelible. "'What think ye of it, sir?' asked Barriston, impatiently, seeing that Diogenes seemed inclined to linger over long in his contemplation of the picture. "'I think, sir,' replied the other, "'that the picture once seen would forever be imprinted on the memory.' "'Ah, it pleases me to hear you say that. "'I think, too, that it does our friend Hall's here infinite credit. "'You must finish that picture soon, my good Franz. "'My father, I know, is prepared to pay you well for it.' "'Then he turned once more to Diogenes. "'I'll take my leave now, sir,' he said, "'and must thank you for so kindly listening to my proposals. "'Halls, I thank you for the hospitality of your house.' we meet again soon i hope he took up his hat and almost in spite of himself he acknowledged diogenes parting bow with one equally courteous patron and employee stood henceforth on equal terms and you desire to see me again to-day sir he said before finally taking his leave i shall be in the tappery of the lame cow between the hours of four and five and entirely "'at your service.' "'After that, he walked out of the room, "'escorted by Franz Halls, "'and Diogenes, who had remained alone "'in the big, bare studio, "'stood in front of the young Frau Beristin's portrait "'and had another long look at it. "'A whimsical smile set round his lips, "'even as they apostrophized the image "'that looked so gravely on him out of the canvas.' "'You poor, young, delicate creature,' he murmured. "'What of your imperious little ways now, "'your offers of condescension, "'your gracious wiping of your dainty shoes "'on the commoner herd of humanity? "'Your own brother has thrown you at the mercy of a rogue, eh? "'A rogue whose valor must needs be rewarded "'by money and patronage.' Will you recognize him tonight, I wonder, as the rogue he really is, the rogue paid to do work that is too dirty for exalted gentlemen's hands to touch. How will you loathe him after tonight? He drew in his breath with a quaint little sigh that had a thought of sadness in it and turned away from the picture just as Franz Halls re-entered the room. When this picture is finished, he said at once to his friend, your name, my dear Halls, will ring throughout Europe. "'Tis your picture I want to finish," said the other reproachfully. "'I have such a fine chance of selling it the day after tomorrow.' "'Why the day after tomorrow?' "'The Burgermaster, Mein Herr van der Meer, comes to visit my studio.' He liked the beginnings of the picture very much when he saw it and told me then that he would come to look at it again and would probably buy it. I can be back here in less than a week. You can finish the picture then. The burgomaster will wait. The artist sighed a plaintive, uncomplaining little sigh and shrugged his shoulders with an air of hopelessness. You don't know what these people are, he said. They will buy a picture when the fancy seizes them. A week later, they will mayhap not even look at it. Besides which, the burgomaster goes to Amsterdam next week. He will visit Rembrandt's studio and probably buy a picture there. His speech meandered on, duly and tonelessly, losing itself finally in incoherent mutterings. Diogenes looked on him with good-natured contempt. "'And you would lick the boots of such rabble?' he said. "'I have a wife and a growing family,' rejoined the artist. "'We must all live.' "'I don't see the necessity,' quoth Diogenes lightly. "'Not at that price in any case.' "'You must live, of course,' my dear Halsey continued. "'Because you are a genius.' and help to fill this ugly gray world with your magnificent works. But why should your wife and family live at the expense of your manhood? Then, seeing the look of horror which his tirade had called forth in the face of his friend, he said with more seriousness, Would the price of that picture be of such vital importance then? It is not the money so much, rejoined Franz Halls, though God knows that that, too, would be acceptable. But tis the glory of it to which I had aspired. This picture, to hang in the Ston House, mayhap in the reception hall, has been my dream these weeks past. Not only would all the wealthy burghers of Harlem see it there, but all the civic dignitaries of other cities when they came here on a visit. I, and the foreign ambassadors, too, who often come to Harlem. My fame, then, would indeed ring throughout Europe. It is very hard that you should disappoint me so." While he went on mumbling in this feeble, querulous voice, Diogenes had been pacing up and down the floor, apparently struggling with insistent thoughts. There was quite a suspicion of a frown upon his smooth brow, But he said nothing until his friend had finished speaking then he ceased his restless pacing and placed a hand upon hall's shoulder look here old friend he said this will never do it seems as if i by leaving you in the lurch today stood in the way of your advancement and of your fortune that of course will never do he reiterated earnestly You, the friend, who, like last night, are always ready to give me food and shelter when I have been without a groat in my pocket. You who picked me up ten years ago, a shoeless ragmuffin, wandering homeless in the streets, and gave me a hot supper and a bed, knowing nothing about me save that I was starving, for that was the beginning of our friendship, was it not, old Franz? of course it was assented the other but that was long ago you have more than repaid me since then when you had the means and now there is the picture to repay a debt is not always to be rid of an obligation how can i then leave you in the lurch now why cannot you stay and sit for me today the light is fairly good I cannot stay now, dear old friend, said the other earnestly. On my honour, I would do my duty by you now, if I only could. I have business of the utmost importance to transact today, and must see to it forthwith. Then why not tomorrow? I could work on the doublet and the lace collar today by putting them on a dummy mould. All I want is a good long sitting from you for the head. I could almost finish the picture tomorrow he pleaded in his peevish melancholy voice and the burgomaster comes on the next day Diogenes was silent for a while again that puzzled frown appeared between his brows tomorrow he should be leaving Leiden on his way to Rotterdam 1,000 guilders would be in his pocket and 3,000 more would be waiting for him at the end of his journey tomorrow Franz Hall's keen, restless eyes followed every varying expression in the face he knew so well. "'Why should you not give up your day to me tomorrow?' he murmured peevishly. "'You have nothing to do.' "'Why indeed not?' said the other, with a sudden recrudescence of his usual gaiety. "'I can do it, old compere Donderstein, but I should be a smear-lap if I did not.' "'Wait one moment. Let me just think. "'Yes, I have the way clear in my mind now. "'I will be here as early as I was today.' "'By half-past seven o'clock the light is tolerable,' said the artist. "'By half-past seven, then, I shall have donned the doublet "'and will not move off that platform unless you bid me, "'until the shadows have gathered in, in the wake of the setting sun.' "'After that,' he added, with his accustomed merry laugh, let mine hair, the burgomaster come. Your picture shall not hang fire because of me. That's brave, said Franz Halls more cheerily. If you will come, I can do it. You will see how advanced that sleeve and collar will be by half past seven tomorrow. His voice had quite a ring in it now. He fussed about in his studio, rearranged the picture on the easel, and put aside the portrait of young Frau Bernston diogenes watched him with amusement but the frown had not quite disappeared from his brow he had made two promises to-day both of which he would have to fulfil at all costs just now it was in a flash that the thought came to him how he could help his friend and keep his word to Burnston. a quick plan had formed itself in his mind for accomplishing this he saw in a mental vision the forced run on the ice back to Harlem, and back again in the wake of the sleigh. It could be done with much pluck and endurance and a small modicum of good luck, and already his mind was made up to it, whatever the cost in the fatigue or privations might be. But time was pressing now. After a renewed and most solemn promise, he took leave of Franz Halls, who already was too deeply absorbed in the work to take much notice of his friend. The glorious, self-centered selfishness of genius was in him. He cared absolutely nothing for any worry or trouble he might cause to the other man by his demand for that sitting on the morrow. The picture mattered, nothing else, and the artist never even asked his friend if he would suffer inconvenience or worse by sacrificing his day to it tomorrow. End of chapter 12